it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. If you're a spiritual professional and have been building your skills and knowledge for years and feel ready to share this wisdom with the world, then the Afterlight Institute wants to work with you. If you want to create your very own online course without having to worry and stress about the technology and the marketing, then you are strongly urged to apply. All the details can be found at theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grace here and welcome to the afterlight. My guest today is Leah Bowden. She is a high frequency intuitive communications counselor, an animal communicator, a spiritual mentor, and a writer. Her learning path has been dominated by teachings and guidance from archangels, ascended masters, and off-planet guides since childhood. She mirrors and encourages the authentic divine in each person she encounters, to facilitate self-forgiveness and kindle hope. She knows that when we let our intuition guide us, we act true to our authentic being and we proceed along the path we were born to experience, to be who we came here to be. She creates and teaches others how to create soul journey energy portraits, audio visual soul portraits people use as inspiration and healing tools. And she is joining me now to talk all about her soul journey energy portraits. What are they? Are they colorful? Does her audience change after she's drawn one? Does she have to draw several over periods of time? What kind of information can we garner from these portraits? And where did the inspiration for it all come? We're also going to explore the meaning of color and we're going to delve into chakras as well. Leah, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. I am so happy to be here. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, and I'm thrilled that you invited me to, to do so with you. Well, I'm thrilled to have you too. And I must say, you know, reading your bio, there are so many things that I would be interested in speaking to you about, especially because I recently mm -hmm. got a puppy. It's like, what's he saying? And also, I love all things angels. But our listener at home would already know that I normally do like to choose a topic and sort of stick around that topic. So today we're going to be talking about your work as uh, an artist doing these soul energy portraits. So just before we get into that, because I know we're going to be able to talk about that for quite some time, I would love to hear how mm -hmm. your spiritual journey began. I did mention that you had been getting guidance from archangels, ascended masters, and off-planet guides since childhood. Tell me about that, Leah. Mm -hmm. Well, it really, I think it started when I was five years old. I took a walk around the back of our garage in our small city plot in upstate New York. And at one point, I remember I was under a lilac tree and it was May. So in upstate New York, the lilacs were blooming as were the, um, can't think of the word, little white flower. Anyway, below me. And I noticed them and then I looked up at the sky and something clicked. It was like, oh, I am on the earth and my home is up there. Okay, and God is up there. 
And as long as I remember the sky, I'll be safe. Oh, and then, and then the thought occurred to me first time in my life, I'm not going to go in and tell mommy, this is mine. So I had an awakening at five years old and I had the feeling that I was more than just me from that point on. I always felt anchored and held safely by something. I later learned the word was God in my family. The word was God. And um, I always felt safe with that. And so then as I began to get older and I had other thoughts come in and I always knew how to go back to someplace in myself. Wow. And in my teenage years, I began to receive thoughts that they didn't seem to come from me but I knew that they were important and I would have to listen to whatever they were. Mm. And it, it just kept on increasing and increasing and increasing. And in my, in my thirties, I began to receive what I call downloads, um, which were triggered by a psychic reading I had by a man named David Massengill. I don't know if he's still alive, but he turned the switch for me in which he introduced me to my off planet. And by that, I mean an existence of reality that is not on earth. That is not something we can touch, not 3d. Um, I guess he was an ascended master. He introduced me to the ascended master who was my teacher, who then pushed me through a channel. And I was introduced to another series of teachers. And I don't know where they are or who they are, but the guidance that they gave me and the teachings that they presented, and I would have to sit every Wednesday at my desk and type because it was coming through really, really fast. And so I learned to trust the process of learning from whoever was in my head. And sometimes it, the, the biggest one that threw me for a loop, and frankly, it still does, is when I was sitting at work and I was working. And all of a sudden I felt this tightness in the back of my head, like someone was knocking on my head. And here were the words that came. I created you to play. What are you doing still working? And I thought, wow. wait a minute. I don't believe in a God who says I, that's not my concept, but there it was. And I'm telling you that yesterday, when I was doing an energy portrait, and I'm going to show you, although people I understand won't be able to see this. When I was doing this portrait, when I was doing my client's root chakra, I heard the same thing. The, the message stated in the first personal, I, and it was talking about how this being was created for a certain purpose. Wow. So I have received messages from what I consider to be source mm -hmm. and from angels. I have long conversations with angels <laughs> and, um, and other beings who are part of the expanded universe of consciousness. Long answer. Well, no, it's such a great answer. And I have so many questions around that. So before I find out from you, number one, I just want to let our listener at home know that I will put a little bit of a photo on um, our Instagram when we do release this episode. So you can see some of uh, Leah's work, but 
I do want to know in a few minutes whether or not you're also channeling the information that you end up drawing and putting onto a canvas. But, but before we go there, I hope you don't mind me saying you're a little bit older than me. And I kind of feel like you were developing your spiritual gifts at a time when it might not have been so commonplace. You know, now when with information so widely available and communities where people are having these conversations, while you were connected to source, did you also sort of feel alone and a little bit of an outsider potentially developing this uh, new way of looking at the world or maybe it was familiar way? Fortunately, part of what grew in me in order for me to, to be able to do these energy portraits was because I connected to a very small community in Schenectady, New York in the 70s, 1970s, of people who were on the spiritual path. I met a couple of people who were my spiritual teachers, who taught me how to develop my intuition. And so because of that, I was able to grow into doing the work that I do. Um, and so I already had a small community of people who would not roll their eyes. But what you say is absolutely true in the larger sense, mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of the people in the spiritual community. And we were not all best friends, but we trusted and we loved each other. The people who I chose to hang out with, the people who were my extended family, my co-workers, friends, most of them were not... Uh, interested in psychic development or even comfortable, some of them, with the idea of intuition as the primary guide guide that you use. And I do recall that at one point in my development, I, I, I was receiving not only messages, but m gestures that I was supposed to use. The, the word I used for them was mudra which is the Sanskrit word, which means gesture. And there were a couple of times when I had to sink down to my knees and put my arms up into, I don't know what the pose is called, but it's not something you see people doing on the street. And um, once I suppressed it and I thought, this is a sin. This is a sin that I am suppressing this urge to do this because I knew it was coming from the divine. I was afraid to go to services. My family was, you know, fairly religious. We were active in our in our temple. And um, for a while, I was afraid to attend Friday night services because I really feared that I would be required by my own inner flow to do one of these movements that would embarrass my mother, the rabbi, and everyone else who would think, oh, my God, she's gone crazy. We need to call 911. You know what, when I'm listening to you speak, I can't help but feel that you're so comfortable and self-aware in your skin. You did mention earlier on as well about the importance of trusting yourself. So have you always been able to trust yourself and follow your own path and go to the beat of your own drum? Or was that a learned behavior? That came from that experience when I was five years old that I knew I was safe. I knew that there were people in the world who would not be safe for me. But I, at the same time then, 
I was developing a sense of when it wasn't safe. If there was someone walking down the street in, in my direction, and I mean, this is true as, even as a child, if I felt prickliness, if I didn't feel comfortable, I didn't stop to say to myself, oh, that's silly. That's just a guy walking down the street. I knew to take action based on my intuition. And my intuition has never, ever, ever failed me. The few times in my life when I have said to myself, oh, that's silly, I have paid. Because <laughs> <laughs> my yes. intuition, your intuition, everybody's intuition, that's the voice of the soul. Yeah. And also, yeah, it has come with age. Also, my comfort has also come with age. Mm -hmm. You know, they talk about crazy old women. This phrase, crazy old women, is because when you get older, you sort of go over a bridge of sorts to and, and you look down at the water, which is the, oh, my God, what will everyone think? You kind of cross that if you've paid attention to your own growth processes, mm -hmm. if you have an idea of who you are then even though it may hurt to no longer care what people think because you know you're going to be leaving some people behind that's part of the process yeah uh, when i teach people how to develop their own intuition one of the areas that we talk about is you're going to lose friends and you're going to want to lose friends and yeah. they may be your real friends but if they're holding you back from being who you really are then you just have to live with it you have to know you say some things to some people, you don't say some things to others because it will confuse them, perhaps yeah. even anger them. You don't want that. No. I do want to ask you in a minute whether or not you would be willing to share some tips for our listener at home about how to develop their intuition. But if we could go back to sure. the Friday night, you know, um, religious ceremonies Service. we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, so did you end up going there and then sort of fighting the innate feelings that you were having to kind of go with the flow and move like that? Or did you start to do no. it? And then it was, can we, can you tell me about that story? Well, during that time, I really did stay away from the, the services on Friday night. It wasn't a big sacrifice. I was a grown up, my family, my immediate husband, son, and I were not active members of the temple. Um, um, and so it wasn't a big sacrifice, but it was a real fear, actually, that okay. this might happen. I was so, I was so um, determined to honor the flow in me. Um, no, it never became a problem. It, mm. it didn't. Occasionally, uh, there was one service actually, which was rather extraordinary. In the Jewish religion, we have uh, what we call the High Holy Days. They are in September, sometimes in October. And during this time, we have very long services. I mean, like Yom Kippur, which is the most serious of the two, is sometimes eight hours long. You're wow. sitting, you're rising, wow. you're praying, you're chanting, you're doing all kinds of things. It gives you a lot of time to reflect and you're also fasting. So it really is a very powerful time if you do it. And I can remember sitting next to a friend named Adele. And at one point I was aware that there was an angel sitting between us. I knew it for sure. I could feel it, I could see him. And that's never happened before. Um, and fortunately, that didn't require me to do anything. I could just sit there. And also, sometimes some of the mudras, some of the, uh, the gestures that I was required, I'm putting that in air quotes, mm -hmm. to do were 
things I could do with my head or my hands. You know, I could do that. And so that's how I got through right. some of that. that right. So you could sort of do it in more of a discreet manner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now, now it happens. Let me tell you, I'd like to tell you yes. that I now belong to a Jewish congregation in Northern California. I'm going to say what it is because people should know about this. It's called Ner Shalom, which means light of peace. Ner Shalom is my people. If I were sitting in services and I felt impulsed to get up and do one of these full body mudras, people would look and say, oh, there she is. <laughs> How cool. No one would be shocked. So for those who are listening, who fear that they will never find a spiritual community in which they are seen and in which they find companionship, don't give up. Keep on being who you are you might find it. They might find you. Mm. I'm you sorry know, I interrupted. No, that's fine. It's so perfect. It's actually a perfect segue into, you know, talking about developing your intuition. Cause I think about a lot of people have a fear about honoring who they truly are and going with the flow and maybe being embarrassed or looking strange or, and this can sort of be on any level from not wearing the clothes that they want to wear to not speaking the words that they want to say to not moving in the way that feels comfortable and natural to them. So is there a correlation do you find with going with the flow and also developing your intuition? Do the two go hand in hand or are they separate? We are prey, P-R-E-Y, to many flows. When I was in my 20s, my mother told me that I was hiding my light under a basket. Now, my mother was very conservative in every possible way. She was beige and elegant. I am not beige. Elegance, well, I can hope. Yes. Even yeah. she could tell that I wasn't being true to myself. Because in my 20s, this was the 60s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I was... I was trying to be like everybody else. I was very nervous because I was, I didn't even know which way the flow was taking me. Our twenties are tumultuous and it is really hard to find your way in your twenties. I would think without a very strong guide. Mm. And of course this leads people into following guides or gurus who may be not paying attention to all of the disciples, all of the people who are following them. So I'm saying the twenties are really crazy. Even if you're not in New York in 1967, um, the older you get, the easier it is to be honest with yourself. Well, if you have been honest with yourself all along, and what you've said is true. Some people are afraid to be honest with themselves. They are raised in shame. Yeah. And I, I despair for people who are raised and were raised in shame. It's a terrible, terrible crime because it leads to the violence personally and in society. Um, so going with the flow, once you've identified what flow it is that feels good, 
it feels, oh my God, this is good. I feel clean. I feel hopeful. There's a rising in your body and I'm getting goosebumps as I talk about it. That's the flow you want to follow. Yeah. The flow that is perhaps oh yes, this feels familiar. This is what my aunts and uncles always talked about. This is the feeling that I had at Christmas dinner, but Christmas dinner maybe was, you know, tumultuous and packed with arguments and no one was getting along because that's what Christmas dinners are famous for among (laughs) the more, the better kind of Christmas dinner. Um, So we have the flow of what we're used to. And then we have the flow that's just ours. Um, When I was a kid, I remember I was in gym class and I found myself looking around the circle of girls, looking into everyone's eyes. And what was that about? And I realized I was looking for my tribe. I knew at 13 that I could identify people by looking closely at them to see if they were on my wavelength. So it may be a feeling that you get. You know, when you walk into a room and you're not quite sure where to sit. Well, when we used to be able to walk into big rooms where there would be a whole bunch of people sitting, that'll come again. I'm sure it will. And you walk into a room and you're not quite sure where to sit and you pause and you're waiting for something to tell you where to sit. It's not a movie theater where it's a question of being too close to the screen or too far back. That impulse to go not over there. Oh, right over there. I want to go sit right over there. That's your intuition telling you where you will have the better experience. And in fact, that is what the Ajna Chakra tells us in when I do the energy portraits. It's the Ajna Chakra, or maybe it's the third eye chakra. I plead not enough knowledge about the difference between the two, but I do know that it's there that we see who's driving the bus. What is it that you're looking for and how are you looking for it? So that's a way to find your flow, the right go with the flow. So when you, when you're, when you're going with the flow that is in your best interest, that is the tether that holds you to the divine, to the original trajectory, which carried you here, that's the one you want. And the way you can tell is, do you feel good? Not guilty, not ashamed, not angry, but hey, this is good. This is good. Yeah. Uh, but again, if you're in your, if you're young, if you're still sort of clueless about many things, it can be hard to tell. I've been listening to a lot of Wayne Dyer lately, and one of the things that he talks a lot about is how we're being done. We think we're doing everything, but we're being done. And you know, when you were speaking there. It was, sort of reminded about the book as well, The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, which I'm not sure if you've read it, but it's an amazing book. And it's a lot about just going with the flow, basically allowing yourself to be done, allowing yourself to tap into your innate knowing and and just trusting the process. And I guess my question to you is that, you know, why is it, and maybe you don't have the answer to this, but why is it that we're not encouraged to have fun? Like you were, you know, when you had that message when you were at work and they're like, what are you doing? Here's, I created you to have fun. It's like any time I notice I have some objection or there's anxiety or stress or anything like that, I've been really making a conscientious effort of stopping and pivoting so I can find that flow and find that fun. 
why is it that people are afraid or that even myself, like what stops us from finding the fun? Is it because we think things aren't going to work out? I think a lot of it is because we, we don't want to err on the side of failure. Yeah. That, that we think things might work out, but our whole, I'm trying, I'm trying to think first, I was going to say, Oh, blame it on the industrial revolution. You know, when, everyone was put to work on a clock. Right. Went and, to school then, even, starting in the school systems, you could say, right? Adhering to the bells right. and everything. Exactly. And so this, 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 the educational system um, that we have in America, at least, and I can't speak to other countries, was established to train workers to be yeah. used to uh, the bell. You, you start work, you finish work, you go to work. But of course, children, children were treated as small adults in the middle ages. As soon as you could shell peas or sweep, you were given a job. Uh, I don't know what it is. There are so many possibilities that come into my mind. Original sin is one of them. Um, so many people are raised with the idea that we were born in shame and that it's only through hard work, that is hard spiritual work, or hard work obeying what people over us tell us we should be doing mm -hmm. that we will be able to uh, get past and um, get past that terrible weight that, that we're born with. And so I think that, and I, again, I can't speak to all cultures, but certainly in the American culture, we're used to working hard and and thinking that's what we need to be doing being productive being productive in fact uh, one of the areas of my of, woo, one of the areas of my career was uh i worked in long-term care and i became very familiar with ideas of aging the ideas about aging and i learned from reading a book by thomas cole I think it was called the river of life but i'm not sure um in which he discusses how the aged were viewed from many years ago to now and he points out that in our culture because the aged cannot be productive anymore they are not regarded as valuable whereas in pre-industrial societies the aged, the elders, were the most valued because they had spent so many years learning and being that they were the ones you would go to to find wisdom, not Google. Um, yes. So, you know, that's part of it, too. You know, it's funny, too, when you were speaking, I was thinking about the fact that we almost seem encouraged as well to ask people for their opinions before checking in with ourselves. So maybe that also is stopping us from our ability to follow our bliss because when we know what feels good, someone else isn't necessarily going to know. And, you know, I know I've made decisions along my journey where sometimes if an outsider looked at it and thought, what are you doing? It might not make sense, but because I just knew my inner truth, it made perfect sense to me and everything works out. However, I think we're very often encouraged to ask somebody else's opinion. And so we often get confused. And then maybe that also creates an inaction because now we have 50 people in our ears and we're no longer sure what feels good. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I still do that when I'm, when I, 
I'm not quite sure. I ask the people who know me best. I say, what What do you think I should do? Yeah. And it's hard because yeah. we we can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And we're the trees. <laughs> so how do you develop yeah. your intuition a little bit further so that you don't need to rely necessarily, not to say that getting outside um, perspectives aren't helpful. They can be if you're asking people who, like you said, know you well and have your best interests at heart. What are some ways that you could recommend that our listener at home develop their intuition a little bit further? Because I'm sure you would agree that when you are connected to your intuition, you are able to navigate the pitfalls of life so much easier and finding your joy and bliss comes faster to you. Um, developing the intuition. One, let there be a pause between an action that you take and the next action that you take. I know that's very vague. You know what, Leah, sorry to cut you off. I was going to say you also used that example earlier when you were talking about entering a room and you're trying to figure out where to sit. Exactly. That's an example. You enter a room and give a pause so that you find what direction does your body seem to want to go in. Aha, intuition is directly connected to the body, to body awareness. Body awareness is where it's at. Body awareness. If you feel trembling, if you feel a tenseness in your gut, that means this isn't good, folks. This could be problematic. If you feel a fast heartbeat, well, that could be I'm nervous or that could be, oh, my God, I thought I'd never be able to do this. I'm so excited. Heartbeats can, you know, we're not going to use heartbeats, but a tense tension in the gut is definitely a sign that says, wait a minute. Maybe you shouldn't do this. Um, if you're walking down the street, as I said before, and all of a sudden you feel this this group coming toward me doesn't it feels funny cross the street or duck into a store pay attention to what your body is telling you that's that's probably the biggest clue and we all know what our body I mean we're there we're right in here we know our body's going to tell us um when I teach how to do the soul journey energy portraits I include intuition development exercises. Um, One of them is to do something like this. I tell, I get a volunteer stands up in the middle of the room and I take another volunteer and I tell the volunteer number two, I whisper something like stare hard at the middle of the person's back. Just stare hard with a good thought, you know, stare with, I love you, or this is, this is an interesting exercise or something like that. And so volunteer number two comes into the room, stares hard, and I give it about 30 seconds. And then I ask the volunteer number one, how do you feel? And often the person will say, my back itched, or I, I felt um, that there was a something happening in my back. 
people get that. So that's another way to, to understand that body awareness, again, is a, a way to develop the intuition. Intuition also is, here's another, here's a, an exercise that my intuitional development teacher had me do. She uh, took me through the, all of the colors. What she did was this. She would press, she had lots of little pieces of paper that she had um, colored with one dot of color. Um, and so she would put a dot of color into my hand and she would say, close your eyes, tell me how you feel. Tell me what, anything, memory, song, what's happening. And, um, and so I would close my hand and I remember there was one color that I, um, one, there was one response that I had that I thought was very interesting. I felt an oppression. I felt a feeling like, you know, Van Gogh's painting, the potato eaters in which there's a group of people sitting around a table lit by one candle and there's a pile of potatoes and they're eating potatoes and it's very dark and they do not look well. They do not look happy. They're very, oh. and then, and then in the scene that I was seeing, in addition to that, there was a hulking male figure over them. Like the big guy just came in and he's not happy. That's the way I felt when I was holding this color. I didn't know that I did not like, like air quotes again, that color. I didn't know. But you know, as I thought about it, I realized, yeah, I, I tend not to like this color. And and there was another exercise she gave what me. What color which was, was it? I keep thinking brown, was, but what color was it? Close, it was mustard. Oh, you know what? That's so funny because I actually, that, I actually thought originally dirty yellow, but I didn't That's know it. how to I didn't know how to say it, so I just said brown. Okay, See? cool. Dirty yellow, even the word dirty, and it's a word that yeah. we use, dirty yellow. This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. And then another exercise that she gave me was she this was in the era where we actually had records and record players. So she, uh, she put on a, a record, she turned the volume off and she had, I had a piece of paper with me and a pen and she said, okay, now, and she just instructed me to write whatever came into my head. And what I wrote was hallelujah, the glory of mankind, the glory of a life well lived. We are so grateful. We are so grateful for our lives. There is such ecstasy in life, blah, 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 just like that for about two minutes. And she came back into the room and I showed her what I'd written. And she said, the piece of music that was on that you couldn't hear with your physical ears was Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Wow. And so those, those two exercises really gave me confidence to know that what I thought of at any given moment was probably true. So uh, likewise, in a more advanced part of the, of the class, and I'm saying this because that was the class in intuitional development that really helped me. And these are all good ideas that you can yeah. do. You can so do it with good. a friend. Um, another one was she gave me a, a photograph of a group of people, like six people lined up. She knew each of those people. 
I'd never seen them before. And she said, tell me about each of these people. She said, tell me about that guy. I said, I don't know them. She said, I know. Just make, tell a story. Well, it felt like I was making it up. I told a story. And she said, yep, that's right. That's his life. Tell me about the next one. And again, I felt like there was a story that I was making up. And again, it was true. Wow. So again, wow. I learned in that way to trust that what felt to me like I'm making it up, that was the clue that it was true. If it feels like you're making it up, it's true. Oh, I do so it now with people like when I'm parked at a, a traffic light and I look over at the person in the next car and I like I open it up and I say, oh, hmm. Of course, that can be a little dangerous because if you're really good, if you're really intuitive and you see great pain or you see something that, oh my God, I should call the police, it could yeah. be a problem. Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, those are some great tips. Thank you so much for that, Leah. So when did you realize mm -hmm. that your spiritual path was taking on a more colorful direction? Have you always been interested in art? Was that something that you were always sort of naturally good at or was it developed? Yeah, I've been an artist. I've been an artist since I was three. Okay. Which means my parents gave me a chalkboard with colored chalk in my bedroom and I started drawing. Um, people are artists, whether they're getting paid for it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, being an artist doesn't mean, no, be, it doesn't mean being able to draw a straight line, for one thing. Lots of people will say, oh, I can't draw a straight line. Well, neither can I. Who can? Okay. So I was always an artist. In my 20s and 30s, I actually had some shows. I sold my work. And my work was nothing like the portraits that I'm doing now. They were kind of like Georgia O'Keeffe paintings. And I really loved that style. It was fluid and it was beautiful. Mm. Um, and so I was doing those. And then in the somewhere in the 90s, I met a man in my city through a spiritual discussion group. Uh, he was an energy healer, and he began coming to my home doing energy healings for me. He was very, very, very good. He was very effective. And as he worked, he would say, <coughs> as he worked, he would say, do you see this beautiful seafoam green coming out of your heart? And I would say, no, I don't see that stuff. Oh, well, do you see this beautiful coral coming out of your arm? No, I don't see that stuff. <laughs> well couple of years of this went by and he, I knew he was having some heart, heart problems, heart issues. And he knew that I had just bought my first set of pastels, which is colored chalk and pastel paper, large pieces of paper that are specifically designed to take chalk. And he knew that I loved what what I was playing with. He said, when we're all done, I want you to look at my heart and see what you tell me. I said, well, okay. So we went to another room, we sat down and he said, what do you see around my heart chakra? And I said, I don't see a thing because I didn't with my physical eyes. He said, you, you could, what do you see? Pretend that you see something. Aha. So I allowed myself to imagine if there were a color around his heart chakra, what would it be? And then what I did was I perceived, it's kind of like, you know it, you feel it, but the physical eyes don't see it. 
I, I said, well, it would be kind of a rose color going up like this with maybe a swirl of green coming down like that. And he said, yes, it is. And what about here? And he ended up pointing to all of his chakras. And after I understood that it wasn't something I would see with my physical eyes, but rather a sense of color and shape that I would have, it was a done deal. And so the next week, I had a piece of paper, I had my chalks, and I created the first energy portrait that I did. And from then on that, I thought, oh, it's just art. And for a while, it was just the visual. And then I began feeling a feeling in my throat that something had to come out. I didn't know whether it was going to be pretty or ugly or a growl or a squeak or what. Because I didn't have a tune or a word in my head, but it was something that needed to come out of my throat. So then I realized I can't trust and honor part of the process and ignore another part of the process. So I began allowing myself to make the sounds that were coming out. And so that's how the singing and the chanting came about. Because when I do a portrait, from, and sometimes even before I start putting chalk on paper, I, I sing, I chant, I receive, I channel, and it's all channeled. Um, I, I sing, I chant, I deliver messages from the soul or from the divine. But you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break off right here and tell you that one of the most important pieces of information that I have learned I need to give people, and I do it through this energy portrait process, is that we're all one being. This is impossible to hold, by the way. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. We are, yeah. we have our limited DNA forces us to see separations. It forces us to, uh, to not be able to see unity. It takes some effort to see the unity. And when I mean see, I mean comprehend. But I do know what I've learned from this process is that all life is the mirror of the creator. Whether you think that creator is an inchoate mass of urges, or you think it is God with a beard, or anything in between, all life mirrors the creator. And the creator is infinite. And so when the creator, let's say the creator has an idea of me, of Leah. The creator has an idea of me, Leah, and I'm there in the creative process at that time in the great nothingness because I'm not here yet in a body. The creator goes, Leah. The thought Leah goes all over wherever there is creation. And that thought, Leah, takes root to some degree in some form, maybe in a gas, in a nebula somewhere. Everywhere there is creation, we are. And so when I say God or an angel or my guides or me, really, I believe it's all one, but we cannot perceive just the one. And so we proceed along in our linear way, finding ways to describe that. That's the force behind these soul journey energy portraits is the unity. And it gets expressed over and over and over again.
I think I've really gone off topic. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's just like, it is, it's a lot for our small minds to comprehend that sort of greatness, you know? Um, I guess I was kind of wondering whether or not, you know, as people grow and change and, you know, even as the oneness becomes a concept, maybe they can start to conceptualize a little bit more. Do you find that their energy changes and shifts as well? So if you were to have done a reading or a channeling for someone much like your healer friend, and then done another painting for them a period of time later, would it have changed at all? Or do people sort of have kind of a soul look and then that remains the same throughout their human existence? In my experience, these soul journey energy portraits are snapshots of a moment. Yeah. In the moment, I speak about trends and great movements of the soul that have brought us to this moment. But in truth, if I were to, I did these, I did this one yesterday. If I looked at that same person next week, it would look different. Um, I used to go to a conference in which many people were interested in having their portraits done. And there were several people for whom I did a portrait every year and each one of them is different. Now I will tell you that I did have I did have a client who when I began doing her portraits and I did four of them in the course of two years. When I began doing the portraits the energy was very crazy. The portrait itself looked lots of zigzags and jagged energy. As she worked, and she told me she was working very hard on her spiritual development. She was working hard on developing her own sense of spiritual integrity. You could see that change in the portraits that people who are, who are spiritually aware, who have in spiritual integrity, I guess, is the word that I'm looking for, who have a sense of self that is anchored in honor and truth and hope have ex have energy portraits that express with great beauty um, that feeling. People who are uh, confused, people who are um, having difficulties in their lives or who are not together, their energy portraits sometimes seem to be a little less flowy now, having said that, I want to say that um, when I do an, a soul journey energy portrait, I don't see or feel or hear or whatever all those other words are. I don't shame, guilt, negative self-thought. I have spoken to many people about these processes and they say, oh, I wouldn't want you to do mine. I, you know, you'll see what I really think. Well, I know I won't, because when I do these, I'm doing them. I reach for the highest that I can of my spiritual being, mm -hmm. and I am looking from that height. And because we are all mirrors of each other, the person of whom I'm doing the portrait does the same thing, reaches as high as possible so that these portraits are done by one person looking from a great spiritual height to another person who is also at a great spiritual height, as great as we can reach. Mm. And I don't know how great that is, but it's not my, 
what did you have for breakfast today? Oh my God, you're wearing that? It's mm -hmm. not from that consciousness. It's from, I have a great blessing to give you and I know that you have a great blessing to give me. Let's exchange these blessings. Mm -hmm. So I don't see shame. I don't see guilt. Um, what I'll see if there is a problem, I will experience perhaps um, a heart-rending feeling or I'll experience that the color isn't quite right for the chakra. When I did this part of this person's energy portrait, and for our listening audience, I am pointing to the lower right arm, at first I didn't see any clear colors at all. It was all like a hurricane. So I just opened up to what the message was in that arm. And that arm carried a message of such tremendous grief and shame and desire for healing that I cried. As I was doing this energy portrait, I was in tears and I found myself asking for forgiveness. I was channeling that arm and yet it spoke through me and to me because I also have, uh, we'll call them past lives or even past moments in this life when I haven't been my best. Mm. And and that was reaching through me. We are mirrors. You and I talking together are talking together because something in you and something in me says, hey, there's a unity here. There's a familiarity. Um, so it's very powerful. It sounds to me like your images are ones of hope and support and enlightenment. And you would know too that you know, when you shine the light on something, maybe you can see the light within it instead of the shadow. What a beautiful way to put that. Absolutely. I do these because they give people hope and self-confidence. There was one woman who I did many, many years ago, one whose portrait I did many, many years ago, um, who had been at a group. I did it a weekend group in which I was teaching people how to do these portraits. And um, at the end, almost everybody signed up to have their portrait created. And so this woman was very gray. Everything about her was gray. She sat like a lump. She didn't contribute anything to the group conversation. She looked like she was there by accident. And when she came up for her portrait to be done, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Can't tell anything about her. I did it. And at, while I was doing it, I realized I wanted to prostrate myself before her and ask for her blessing. She, what I felt from her was a, such a shining light from such a great soul. I had never encountered a soul like hers. Mm. And, and the portrait was bright gold and yellow and white, colors of hope and brilliance and divine consciousness. I, I was in shock as I was doing this because her outer exterior, her exterior and her actions showed nothing of that grandeur, that spiritual grandeur. And I thought, well, this woman is not used to hearing words like this. Uh, how can I tell her? So I said to her, I said, people have always underestimated you, haven't they? And she said, yeah. And she loved the portrait. <laughs> so you never can tell what someone is going to show up as when you shine the light 
on them, mm-hmm. on them, on their soul. Yes. So, yes. and, and I, and I've, sat with people who've said, gee, I, I haven't thought of that since I was a kid. I love that. Wow. I guess I could do that again, couldn't I? I would say, yes, your soul is saying, please do more of that. Climb a tree. Play yes. with beads. Do what you feel <laughs> makes you joyful. That's why we're here. Getting back to the I created you to play. Yes, exactly. I love that. When I'm looking at your piece here, I guess I'm wondering how you would describe it. For our listener at home, what what I'm seeing is basically it's like a the shape of a human, but it's not done in a way that you would you could necessarily think it was a human. Like you can see that there's the body shape there. You've used a lot of different types of colors. You have sort of almost like peaks of energy coming out of the crown chakra. It almost looks like there's a a sun and clouds even above it. You've got fire kind of emanating from the sort of almost the, the sacral root. It's almost like the solar plexus and the sacral are connected there because of the fire sort of overlapping. You've got the solar plexus, which is in the middle, which is pink and And then the hand sort of splayed out almost like it's, you know, almost in a dance kind of clown sort of action, ready to have fun. And then it's interesting. There's this really purple wavy kind of smoky sort of texture, I guess, with it where the sacral chakra is. So that makes me think there it's almost like a hula skirt in a way. And then, you know, the legs are layered with different shapes of stars and there's triangles in there. I mean, how else can you describe it in, in more probably of an eloquent, eloquent way? It's just, it's quite different than what the listener at home may have been envisioning up to this point. You've done a great job. Um, I'll tell you that I start with the crown chakra because the crown chakra is where we see our soul's mission statement. Who is it that we came here to be? What are we really expressing through our life at this time? And sometimes in a crown chakra, I'll see a movie in my head. There was a woman for whom I did this and I saw a caravan, a caravan crossing the like Gobi Desert. And then the caravan was in the Sahara. And then, and I just describe all of that. And that's all part of the soul's journey, which is why I call them soul journey energy portraits. So. The crown chakra comes out like this of the top of the head. And in this one, it tells me that the purple describes a passionate zeal for following the energy of the highest example of the divine a person can think of. I often think of it as the passion that a nun has for Christ, Mm -hmm. that there is no being more worthy of attention and adoration than this being who I worship. So this is, um, so that's the purple. Beautiful. And then there's turquoise, also in the crown chakra. Turquoise is the color of innovation. So this being, this person is an innovative thinker. And then right here is what I called the solar disc. And it is, it is a circle that is in metallic gold. And when I, there, now you can see how oh, it shines. beautiful, yes. See metallic gold in a crown, in a chakra, in a chakra anywhere, and it shows up in other places too here. Metallic gold is the 
is the symbol of divine creator energy. So then I say, you know, we're all God walking around, but we can't possibly hold that thought. That is just an impossible thought to have. But we are. We are that creation carrying the imprint and the spirit of the divine creator. And so in this person's flow of, of energy, it shows up right in the middle of his crown chakra, which means that he is aware in his highest knowing of himself that there is divine consciousness. And then this is actually, it's hard to see. This is a pearly white and this pearly white is the indicator of angelic consciousness. And then I say, you know, we not only have guardian angels, we are angels. There is a part of us that is angelic. There is a part of us that carries that energy. The angel is the part of us that says, I've got this. You go, you do your thing. I got you. Don't hesitate. I'm here. Because the angel can only do one thing. And the angel in us is keeping the force of our essential authentic being in mind, promoting that being, that journey. So now you see over here, there are squiggles. These squiggles are actually language that comes from somewhere off, not on the earth. Some people call it light language. Since mm -hmm. I learned to do these from my own process and not from another, a teacher, who gave me words for it, I don't call it light language. It is languaging. And in fact, I know someone who can look at these symbols and translate them into English, into concepts and, and talk about the concepts. I don't know what they mean. I call them notes from the soul. I say, I say to people, hmm. you may have a feeling when you look at these symbols that they mean something to you. I don't know. They look like musical so, symbols. They do look like musical notes. So I can see that you, yeah. I don't know what they mean, but they're there and they're part of the multidimensional self. I mean, we are all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a, this is a, a note from one of those parts of us out there who is sending us information saying, do this think this, this is going on right now. We are impulsed from all of our expanded self. We are like a constellation. We don't just exist in this head. We're a constellation and we exist everywhere. And the stars in that constellation twinkle in our direction and send us guidelines. Okay, so this is the Ajna chakra. That's where he's uh, navigating his life the pink actually is the heart chakra. The pink and the green are the heart chakra. The gold is the um, solar plexus. The sacral chakra is the purple. Mm -hmm. And again, you can see that there are more of the off-planet symbols in the sacral chakra. And then the lower at the lower part of this is the root chakra and again because this is a portrait of a multi-dimensional being the root chakra does not necessarily show us how we are rooted to the earth but rather 
how we are rooted, how we are connected to the ground of our being. And the ground of our being, if, as in this portrait, if, the, if we are highly multidimensional, that is, if we're getting information from all over the place and it shows up, it's very likely that the, um, that the root chakra is not going to be a, to a tone of red or brown or whatever the classic root chakra descriptions are. Um, I had to make myself, by the way, I had to make myself forget what I've learned yeah. about the chakras. It's interesting because in the sacral is normally orange, but yours is purple. So yeah, you would purple. Yeah, I had to get out of your own right. way. Yeah. And now yeah. The, the way that if if for instance, if this had not been purple, if it had been orange, because orange is the opposite of purple, or if the um either one of these if like i once saw a woman whose solar plexus was green and i stopped i said this doesn't feel right i didn't say that to her it didn't feel right so i stopped and i found there was a story there and the story was about a little girl who was feeling rejected by her family and so i told the story and i and then what i do is i i like i rock that little part what i see oh honey Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay now. It's okay now. We're here. You're safe. And when I love that part that I've seen isn't the right color and it feels kind of awkward in me, or I actually get a pain in my body where that corresponding to that body part, I'll, at one point there's a flow that opens up and I see the color and I see the color that it's supposed to be according to what flows through me. Oh. And that, and that, that's a healing. So I wanted wow. to tell you more about the root chakra. This happens to be sort of brownish. I said, okay, so there's an element of earth, even though it's metallic, it's a metallic copper. Mm -hmm. This portrait, which is his wife, in this portrait, her, her root chakra is metallic blue. It's all blue and silver. It has nothing to do with the physical earth. Because her, right. the root of her multidimensional being is rooted in off-planet knowledge, which is silver, and blue, the color of service. So I've talked a little bit about the, the, the meanings of colors in these chakras. Yes. And I'd like to point out yes. that I do know that the classic color, for instance, of the throat chakra is blue tick that. Yeah. The classic color of the heart chakra is pink and green, tick that. But those are the only two that always show up in that way. Every other, <coughs> every other chakra is unique to the person. And I also will say that um, I paint everything I see. I could be talking about the palm chakra, but I don't. What I do is I I describe the hand. I don't use the word chakra. Mm. Um, I'm not trying to be a classically presenting chakra expert. What I just want to do is make sure that I paint what I see mm -hmm. and that I describe everything that's in my comprehension. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, and these are very interesting, sometimes I get companion beings that show up in these. I, I, I did... Um, I did a portrait for a woman who was very closely tied with St. Germain. And there was a companion being that showed up. 
and the companion being said to me, wait a minute, I have to change my clothes. And I mentioned this to the person and she laughed and she said, yes, Saint Germain is always very vain. And she said to me, Saint Germain is always very vain. He's always loving the clothes that he's wearing. Oh, I didn't know that. So, and there was another client for whom I did a portrait and there was a beautiful dragon that appeared and the dragon itself had a big message that was part of what came through me then. My website, lightspeak.com, has a page where I show a lot of examples of these portraits. And on the side, there are uh, samples of the chants and the singing and the guidance that comes through. Sometimes they're very, very beautiful. Sometimes they're very, very weird. And sometimes I cry. Well, it's so wonderful. I mean, it's just going to show the layers and the the depth of a human soul that you're trying to encapsulate in an image. So it would make sense to me that you would feel so many emotions because we are complicated in that way. We have so many, you know, different parts of us. So just before we sign off here, because I know we've gone a little bit over time, I am sort of wondering when people get these paintings from you, these channeled messages from you, you know, you did sort of mention that this is a snapshot in time, but do you find that even after they've received the information that there's still stuff there that they're able to, to put into their, their current lives, even though that was maybe just a oh. particular snapshot? And, and how do you find that they use the information that you share with them? Um, I have one client, sometimes clients have told me that when they initially got the portrait, it was nice, but Two years later, they really relate to it. Oh, um, a couple of people I know have put them up in their meditation space and they actively use them as foc foci, <laughs> focuses for meditation to help them center and focus on what they know is their true representation. Um, the first portrait I did of a woman who I didn't even have a picture of her I just had a brief conversation on the phone we hung up and then I made the portrait I sent it off to her I thought okay this is going to be the test she's going to get this unroll it and say what are you trying to pull over on me and I'm going to send her her money back she didn't she called up and she said she didn't even have the portrait completely unrolled and she burst into tears saying oh my god at last someone sees the real me Hmm. So, and that gave me the confidence to do this long distance. Um, so yeah. uh, people use them, they find value in them for years, even though, as I say, it's, it's like the clouds, the clouds are the clouds. You're looking at the sky and the clouds go here and the clouds go there. So that's the, that's the snapshot idea that I was talking about. So when people want to get a portrait done from you, what information do they need to tell you in order for you to draw them? You don't need to know them because um, you were talking about the long distance thing. Right. I work from a photograph. So if people want a, a portrait, they send me a photograph of them standing optimally clothed from head to foot so I can see the head and the feet. And um, or I do it on Zoom. These two oh. I did on Zoom. So you just looked at the yep. people and then you drew from there. You just look at them. Yeah. In fact, it's easier to do people I don't know because when I'm creating a portrait of someone I know, 
that all gets in the way. And I have to forget that. I know she doesn't like her mother. Forget that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if you're doing a reading for someone, you're going now, am I intuiting that? Or is that something they've told me? (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. Well, Leah, it's been such a great conversation. I could talk to you for ages. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask today that you wanted to speak on? I can't think of anything. I think we've really said anything. I so appreciate that you asked me about developing intuition because that's the important thing. We need to trust ourselves and not be swayed by what other people tell us is true. This is an era of gaslighting. Gaslighting has become such a mainstream trick. It's all a trick. We need to know who we are and what our individual truths are so that when we show up in the world and vote, we make the world a place that will support everybody. That's, that's why I do these. Agreed. Beautifully said. So how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to find out more? Because obviously, as I mentioned off the top, this isn't the only service or the only skill that you possess. Thank you, Lauren. My email address is lightspeak, L-I-G-H-T-S-P-E-A-K at gmail.com. That's the best way to get hold of me. And my website is lightspeak.com. And my contact information is there. Great. And I'll put a link to all that in the show notes as well. So our listeners thank you can so have much. Access to that. Well, thank you so much, my friends. It's been great to meet you. You too. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.